Today, as we all know, is Mother's Day. And normally in most congregations, there's the pastors are preaching a Mother's Day sermon. I will not do that to you. Okay. <laughs> Only, you know, in the real reason, I mean, I'll just be pastorally transparent, um, if that's even a, something. Um, many times it makes moms uncomfortable, just like on Father's Day, the fathers feel like you're picked on to be a man of God, you know, and, um, and sometimes those who have had bad experiences with mothers and, and their parents and things like that, it just, it's, it's more torturous than it is a blessing. So I've chosen over the last number of years not to do that. It's like on Father's Day, you will not hear a Father's Day sermon, but I will pick on the fathers. I will do that. No, I'm kidding. But we will, uh, we're not going to have that. But today we're going to continue on in the little series we've been doing about the love of God. Okay? Two weeks ago, because we had um, the Pop Blessed uh, Fellowship and then we had, then um, Yoav's uh, preached last week, we've kind of gotten out of the little series, but we're back on. And two weeks ago we saw this. We saw God's love towards us. God's love anchors us in him, and it transforms us in him and secures our past, our present, and our future. And then why? Because he demonstrated, he placed his love upon us. And for those that responded to that through Christ, our past, our present, and our future are all secure. And we're going to look at that a little bit. But if you would, if you get your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It'll be on the screen, but I encourage you, take your Bible or your phone <laughs> and, and turn in it. Romans 5, 5, look at it real quick. It says this, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, who was given to us. Now, if you really look at it real quick, this is just all a little intro. In fact, I'm going to turn to it. Romans 5. This is what we looked at this section two weeks ago. And if you look back up on verse 3, it says, Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, love. But here's what moves us forward. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What does that mean? Because of the things that we face in this life, we can face them and we can move through them because the very love of God has been poured out within our hearts. We know that God loves us. We know that he's there. We know that all things work together for the good, no matter what we may face, and we can move forward through it. Now, how do we respond to this love? Bear with me this morning. I'm, I don't want to get overly theological but I want us to get into the Word of God. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Let's start there. Mark 12, verse 29. We'll go to 28 just to kind of get the context of what's going on. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And we'll stop there. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Being tested by the scribes, Jesus responds with this. You know what this is? It's the central declaration of faith in God in Judaism. The central declaration of it all. What is Judaism? It's right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then it goes on to love your neighbor as yourself. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But today we're looking at this. It's a central declaration of Judaism. It's known as the Shema. Am I correct? Okay, good. I remember one time when I was a young, 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 young preacher, and I said, it's the Shema. And I had a wonderful, godly Jewish brother come up to me that was born again, and he says, preacher, we don't say it with a southern accent. And I went, he goes, you said Shema. He goes, it's a Shema. And I went, oh, sorry. And I've never forgotten it, so I try to make sure I say it right. The Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, right? And it goes on and on and on. And the beauty of it is this. It tells us something. We are called to know God. To know him is to what? Love him. Why does it say, why do we say that? Look at the first part of it. It says, hear, O Israel, in verse 29. Hear, O Israel. What does hearing mean? It means this, okay? It means to hear. It means to understand. It means to hear with discernment. Our purpose for hearing God's word. Now, let me stop there. Being a charismatic church, I'm going to say something that may sound like I'm picking on charismatics, and I'm really not, but I want us to understand something. This isn't talking about in your prayer time hearing God. Because what happens is we get, take that, and many times what we believe we've heard, many times usurps this. It's talking about the law that was given. Hear the Lord. Hear it through, hearing through this. Hearing through the word. Hearing through what he's spoken to you already. When we can hear him through this, we will be able to hear him better through here. If you don't know this, this will get you in trouble. So God is telling his people, hear him through the law. Hearing through what he has spoken already. Our purpose for hearing God's word and commandments is to understand them, that they become the means and guide to a personal relationship with the Lord. You want to know how to love God? Here. You want to know how to follow God? Here. You want to know how to worship God? Here. You want to know how to do your job and how to respond to people at your job? Here. You want to know how to love your wife? Here. You want to know how to love your husband? Here. And we can go on and on and on. It starts here. And it ends here. So, now, how are we to love God? If we're to hear him, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. How are we supposed to do that? You go, he just said that. Yes, he did. But do we really understand what he's saying? The word love is, in the Greek here, agape. In the Hebrew, believe it or not, it's the same meaning as agape. But what does agape mean? We always say it means this, God's unconditional love, right? That's true. It is that. But we as 
believers who really, and I'm going to say it this way because I'm talking to me. Like the easy road sometimes, we want to stop right there. It's God's unconditional love. He just loves me. I can get in trouble. I can do whatever I want. He's still going to love me. That's true. That's very true. And I'm going to, no matter how much I sin, he's going to love me. That's true. But it's not a license to sin. What is he saying here? How do we love God? The word agape as also in the, in, the, in the Hebrew, is a love. Now listen to this. This is what we don't like because nowadays it's all about our feelings and we blow our minds right out the door and we just run on feelings. This is called, Agape is a love of intelligence. It's a love of the will. It's a love of purpose. It's a love of choice. It's a love of sacrifice. It's a love of obedience. That's what it means. It means that God chose to love us. God said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. It's his choice. He wants to love us. It was his purpose. And this is how we are to love God. We are to choose to love him. We are to choose to make him our purpose, make him our life. Why do we say that? Let's go on. The heart in the Hebrew, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The heart in the Hebrew is an understanding is the core of the person's identity, the very center of their life. Okay, so what do we mean by that? Let's go on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. The soul is the seat of our emotions. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Mind adds the intellect. It adds the will. And with your strength, it adds the physical. But we as preachers and we as Bible study leaders and stuff, we like to take all this apart and Break it all down and make it real technical. It was never given, if you really look at the context, it was, it was never given to break it down. It was just an ex, a simple explanation. What does it mean? It means this. The passage simply means this. What does it say in Psalm 103.1? Bless the Lord. Okay, stop. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It was David telling his soul, his emotions, with his intellect, to bless the Lord. He was going evidently through probably a rough time. And he's saying, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. What are we saying here? What did God tell Israel? And what is he telling us today through this? Is this simply means to love God with all that is within us. It is a total undivided devotion to the Lord. It means Lord God, love God with all of our life. You're saying, I do that. We don't. That's why we have the grace of God. I had a guy get really mad at me one time when I preached something like this, and I said, we don't love God with all of our heart. And he came up to me, and he was just really fired up. It wasn't here. This was years ago. He says, you're judging me. You're telling me I don't love God. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you sinned any time this week? And I said it very kindly. And he goes, well, yes. I said, then you didn't love God with all your heart. He walked off. We reconciled later on. That's why you say this. Like when we say love God with all your heart, there's not a one of us that have ever done it. But that doesn't mean we are not to pursue him and pursue loving God this way. It doesn't mean that. We've got to get real. We're always talking about real and transparent and, you know, and, and, and give me what's true. Here's the truth. 
We are still in this flesh. And we are still sinners. We will sin. I am a saint according to God's word. I'm, I'm, I'm born again. I'm spirit-filled according to God's word and what I know he's done in my life. I know that he loves me and I love him the best I can at this moment. But until I am out of this temple, I will never be able to love God with all my heart, all my soul, with all my strength. It was the law. The impossibility of it was already given. It was, it was not going to happen. That's why God gave Christ. That's why God gave us grace. That's why God is now lives within us to help us move forward because in and of ourselves we won't do it. If it wasn't because God did a work in your life, you wouldn't even want to love him. If it wasn't because God called you, you wouldn't even want to love him. You wouldn't even know him. This is the reality of it. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's my goal. That's what's before me. That's what I'm going after. And I will fall and I will stumble and I will miss it. But the grace of God abides and the grace of God picks me up and sends me forward again. You with me? Y'all still want me to continue? <laughs> Y'all see your faces. Okay. No, I'm not looking for an amen, but thank you. It's just, I'm a hunter, and I've seen deer when you flash a light on them. Okay? So let's go on. Why? Why are we supposed to love God this way? Why are we supposed to do that? Here's another one. First, 13. We love that passage. I've read it a thousand times in, in, in uh, weddings. And it's always so pretty, and people have it. I remember in the 70s when we, in the Jesus movement, they made a poster out of it, and we used to hang it up, and it was black light, and you could see it. I'm just aged me. So we used to see that, and it's wonderful. And we always do it from here to here. I'm supposed to love my wife. I'm supposed to love my brother Rich, you know, that way. Do you realize something? That that is the way that God loves us? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not what? Let's turn to it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, turn with me. This is all part of it, man. This is all part of it. Here we go. Verse 8. No, excuse me, verse 4. Love is patient. Is God patient with us? Love is kind. Is he kind to us? It is not jealous. Ooh, wait a minute. But God gets jealous when... Doesn't he? But it's not this jealous. He's not talking about the way we get jealous. He's talking about his holy jealousy, which is another sermon which I won't do right now. It's, a, it's gone. It's not jealous. Love never brags. Love is not arrogant. That's not God. He doesn't do that. He loves us that way. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Wow. He sent Christ, didn't he? is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. That is the way God loves us. So, God's word teaches us how to love him. We love him this way. Loving God is a choice. It's a choice. 
when we feel like we want to love God, it's because God is moving in our life. Without him moving in our life, you're never, ever, ever going to love him. Because the sin nature will not let you do it. You're going, is this going to get any better? Yes, hang on. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Verse 15. Here's the evidence of loving God. However we can, it's the evidence. Look at verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's just stop there. The test of devotion is keeping his commandments. That's what he asked his people to do. That's what the purpose of it. Keep his commandments. Keep his word. The word keep here means this. It means to keep the eyes fixed upon, to guard, to be watchful, to be vigilant. It means to take care of. It means to attend to. See, because of what Christ did in our life, because of him dying on the cross, because of him forgiving our sin, because of the Holy Spirit abiding within us when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit will lead us to follow the commandments of God, to do what he's called us to do, to walk in his ways. And he gives us the strength to do that. This is evidence, one, that we're born again, two, that we love God. If people say, I love God, but they're living hellaciously and living contrary to the word of God, then they're not saved. It's time to understand that. If you are living purposely against the word of God, but you say you love God, check yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Because if I love my wife, prime example, many, many years ago, not here, and I'm allowed to share this. I was counseling a couple that the husband cheated on the wife. And in the midst of that, he, he, the tears started to flow. And she was she's hurt. She was devastated. And he turned to her and he says, but even in the midst of all that, I loved you. And she turned to him and said, you liar. But no, I, I, I love you. I love you now. You're a liar. We purposely rebel, purposely rebel against God, knowing that we weren't supposed to do it, knowing that he gives us the strength to do it. And when we go against him, then we come back and say, God, I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. But what's the difference? He still loves us. See, this is a hard word. He still loves us. And he sees us through Christ. You're saying, is it even possible to love God? Hang on to that question. We're going to answer it. Obedience to Christ's word is the test or the mark of loving Jesus. This is not specific rules and regulations. This is an act of loving obedience concerning the whole of God's word. I believe this is true. And this is where I want, this is what I want to follow. I will stumble. I will fall. Thank you for your grace, Lord. But my heart and my purpose are wanting to go after you and want to follow you this way. 
Loving obedience is our reaction to the love of, of, of the, toward the love of God towards us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved. Why are we loving him? Because he first loved us. He extended his love. He called us. He drew us to himself because of the cross. He wants to save us. We respond in love. Why? Because we were looking to love him? No. Because he first loved us. We sensed his love in our heart, and we responded to his love. And accepted his gift of salvation. The promise and example of loving God is this. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Verse 10. Very similar. Watch this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, when I was a young believer, that, that verse always perplexed me made me go, I don't understand that totally. Let me show you something that's pretty neat. Loving obedience produces loving assurance. Loving obedience towards God produces loving assurance of his love towards us. John 15.10 says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The word abide means to remain, abide, and dwell, and live. And those of you that have been here for a long time, you've heard me use this. From what I saw many years ago in the Septuagint, this word was used, this word for abide, mino, was used for, to, used for the word tabernacle in the Old Testament. It means to dwell. It means God's dwelling with us. It means we are to dwell in him. It's this, make God your home and be, and be at home in God. Let God be at home in you, you be at home in God. It means to dwell. It's the same word used in the Septuagint for tabernacle. What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Don't lose me. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. Am I making sense? Okay. Keeping Christ's commandments results in abiding in his love, which means we will walk in a deep daily assurance of Christ's abiding presence in our life. When we abide in his love, we will have this assurance. Let me show you. Keep going. Go back to uh, chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The second part to that is this. Jesus is a pattern for loving God. He said, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, we are to keep his commandments. Jesus set the model of his perfect obedience to the Father, which we are to use as a pattern for our obedience to him. Meaning this. I'm telling you that there's coming a time soon where there's going to be even more of a weeding. We're going to see who loves God and who doesn't. And you can see that now more than ever. But there's going to come a moment 
when we're going to see that in our future. Our eyes are going to see it. And the only way we're going to make it through this is loving God and keeping his word. How do you think the early church made it? It sounds gloom and doom, but think about where our world's at. They're, they're prosecuting a young Marine for helping defend somebody. If that bothers you, I'm sorry. Do you know that they, that, oh, I won't even get into it. I'm getting way off script. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. For I guess it's usually not this uh, kind of scatterbrained. But there's a lot on my heart today that I'm trying to keep together. I asked the Lord this, this last week, before I ever started looking at what the sermon was going to look like, I said, Lord, where is the church? And I was asking for the whole. Because many times we say that the church, we're in the Laodicean type of era. I don't think so. We're not there yet. But this is just my opinion. And I was praying and I, and I was reading through the scriptures and I felt the Lord prompt me. I believe the Lord prompt me to go to Revelation chapter 2. And this really jumped out on the page. In fact, I'm not a crier, but it really it brought tears to my eyes as I was reading this. Because there's nothing I ever wanted more than to properly love God. And I said, Lord, where are we at? Where is the church at? Where is the church in America at right now? Look at verse 1. To the angel of the church at Ephesus... And when I saw that, I started laughing first because I was going, okay. I knew we were going there, but it just hit me because Ephesians has always been my, my go-to book. I love Ephesians. I've done more studies in Ephesians than probably any other book in the Scriptures. And I'm going, wow, you took me to Ephesus. All right. To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, both referring to the churches, the seven churches. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have, pers you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. Now stop there. Many of the churches, many of the pastors, at least the ones that I've known over the years, they're men of the word, men and women of the word. They love the word of God. They want to rightly divide the word of truth. And many of them do it and do it well. That's always the thing I've always wanted to do was divide the truth and make it right and make it proper. But you know what was going on? There was a mechanical observance of his word with a declining love. We do it. But it was so mechanical now that it was a declining love in here. Do you know that the former heart of Ephesus 
was expressed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, 3, verse 17, and 9 through 19, and also in chapter 6, verse 23. We won't read them now. They're in the notes if you want to look on the app. The notes are in there, those scriptures. But all through the book of Ephesians, Paul was, a, was wonderfully praising them because of their deep love for the Lord. They loved God. Forty years before, this church loved God. They loved him with a passion. And Paul commended them for it. But here's what happened. John MacArthur said this, and it was really interesting. The church's loss of love for the Lord Jesus Christ opened the doors to spiritual apathy, indifference to others, love for the world, compromise with evil, judgment, and ultimately the death of the church altogether. The church in Ephesus doesn't exist anymore. Why? Look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. When our love for Jesus wanes, sin comes in and cools our walk with Christ. And it, our obedience moves from love to mechanical. Here's what he said to do. Look at verse 5. Therefore, now this, now stop, catch this. This is God lovingly correcting the church. This is his love for us calling out to a church that's doing everything right. Except one thing, it's become so rigid, not rigid in the sense of legalistic, that's not what he's talking about. They've become so focused on what they got to do that it's become so mechanical and it's, and it's just a routine now. And what he's saying is, that's fine, but in the midst of that, you did something. You lost your view of me and you lost your love for me. And he says, so, I'm telling you how to fix this. Now look at it that way. God's saying, here's how you fix it. Here's how you fix it in your life. You want to come back to this? You want to understand in, in that Romans 5.5 5, where you can sense and feel the very love of God being poured into your heart? Because that's what that is. Paul was talking about an experience. We are to feel that. We are to know that. He says this. Look what he says in verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. The first thing he says, remember from where you're falling. It means this. It means keep remembering that place. Look at that place. Hang on to that place where you've fallen. Remember that and start there. A lot of times people go, I'm just going to, I forgot my past. I, I'm a new creature in Christ. And I don't care about that stuff back there. I know it's pathetic seeing a man do that. Okay? But let me tell you something. Remember your old life. Remember where you came from. Don't live there, but remember it. Remember what God did. He was always telling Israel, remember from where I brought you. Remember what life was without me. Remember when you were in captivity. Remember when you were, remember what I did at the Red Sea. Remember, remember, remember. And he's telling this church in Ephesus, remember from where you have fallen. 
That means keep remembering it. Keep it into focus. Then he says this. Look what he says. Remember the, uh, from where you have fallen and repent. Repentance is not feeling sorry for what you did. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. It's not feeling sorry. It means this. It means to absolutely reject that sin. Reject it. Turn from it. I reject that, and I'm moving this way. The third thing he says this is do the deeds you did first. How many of you can remember the day you gave your heart to Christ? You don't have to put your hands up, but that's okay. Remember that day? Remember what you absolutely felt at that moment? You knew that God changed you or you wouldn't be sitting here. You knew that God did a work in your life or you wouldn't be sitting here. You knew that God did something. And when I got saved, it was just, it was, it was so radical, so different. I felt different. I began to think different. And all I wanted to do was know God, know his love for me, and give my love to him. Do the deeds you did at first. If your walk with Christ is stale, if it's stale right now, then remember, look back, ask him to talk to you. Where did I fall? Where did it stop? And go back to that point. And right from there. I've used this many times, the movie Ben-Hur. Love that movie. It's my favorite movie. And when Ben-Hur's on the, on the boat and he's rowing, he catches the, the eye of the commander of the boat. And the commander asked him to come into his quarters later on. He wants to know who this, this Jew is. And he comes in, they start talking and all this other kind of stuff. And he, sa he says to Judah Ben-Hur, his number is 41. He goes, 41, you know you're going to die on this ship. And he goes, I don't know I won't. And he goes, why do you say that, 41? And this is a paraphrase of it. He goes, because my God would not have done what he's done in my life to make me die and leave me to die on the ship. And the commander says, your God has no more power than the gods that I pray to. He goes, I've left that a long time ago. And Ben-Hur looks at him, he says, what took it from you? And the commander got upset. He goes, you're dismissed. Get out of here, 41. Go back. And I've never forgotten that. He said, what took it from you? What took it in our lives? What took that, that fire, that passion? What took that, that, that desire to really know God? We're doing all the right stuff, but what took that fervor? What took it away? The motivation for keeping God's word is his great love for us. By keeping his word, we demonstrate our love for him. But let me tell you something. With that, you can keep his word and not have that passion and desire. But if your heart wants him and wants to know him, then the passion and desire is there. There's a lot of men that work hard for their family, but their wife and their children are starving for affection. There's a lot of women who do a lot for their family, but their children and their husband are starving for affection. 
Is God starving for our affection? God demonstrated his love towards us through sending his son Jesus to die for our sins. We demonstrate our love for him through our obedience to his word, our loving obedience. When our love for God becomes mechanical and liturgical, repent and reject this false love and run back to the simplicity of loving God. Let's stand and let's pray.